This is the Anti-Matter Space Zoomcast. This week featuring Gina Burdett of Bluefoot Engineering. Hi, this is Anthony from Anti-Matter Space. Today we're talking with Gina Burdett of Bluefoot Engineering. Hi, Gina. Hi, Anthony. So, Gina's in the space program. Tell us uh, what you do in the space program. I have the pleasure of doing several things, actually. Um, my children tell everyone I work for NASA, and I've given up explaining anything otherwise, because that's the lay population. All they know of is NASA. But there's actually hundreds upon thousands of small companies out there that are supporting all of the space science research um, and supporting the space assets out there. So I have two small companies currently. One is called ISAT. We engineer uh, satellite training systems. So they are spacecraft simulators that are used cradle-to-grave training in hands-on, uh, design exercises, integration test, and even mission operations. So that's used largely at the university level, but can also be scaled down or up, depending on the objective of the instructor. Used a lot at Vandenberg Air Force Base to teach um, attitude control maneuvers and things like that. Uh, my other company, Bluefoot Engineering, that you mentioned, uh, mm -hmm. is a thriving consulting business. We work a lot with new space, small space, uh, really fun groups to work with because risk is a word they've never heard of um, and no is something they've ever been told <laughs> that generation. So a lot of fun opportunities and difficult uh, challenges to solve. Um, combining that with uh, most of my consultants come from many, many years in the space business and now we're colliding with new space and it's just a really interesting paradigm. That's fantastic you should say that because, you know, I work for one of these little startups and um, I've been uh, contacted by several other little startups and it's, uh, you know, to, to, to all of whom, as you say, are people who have got different crazy ideas about things they can do in space and a lot of these things are going to take off and, you know, that's been very fun. I just spoke earlier today to a guy that I've known online and by phone for many, many years who circled back around when he saw what I was doing now. And we're going to be doing some activities together, I think. Um, what drew you into the space program, Sheila? Well, I had a unique situation in that I came from an education, a science and education background. I'm actually a marine biologist by, by education. Um, and there came a point in time in my life when I sort of had to reinvent myself. I had stepped back from my career for a while to have small children. And therefore, as I stepped back, uh, my colleagues advanced in front of me. Um, and I found myself, uh, you know, change in family dynamic, getting divorced. So I had to reinvent myself. And I was lucky that right around that same time, my father, who has been in the space business for 40 plus years, came across this little company, ISAT, that I mentioned earlier. And he thought it would be a great opportunity for a father-daughter uh, exercise together, bring in my education background. I had opened a couple other small businesses, so bring in my entrepreneurship a little bit. We thought it would be a fun hobby, and when I had to reinvent myself, it turned out to be my whole career. And I found myself hobnobbing with and inter interacting with the most amazing people on this planet. Um, growing up, if you had asked me would I work with my father, I would have laughed because we rarely engaged in a conversation where I didn't end up getting a dissertation and or crying. And to think that we grew up and decided to work together, and I was finally now open to that whole community he'd been working with for so many years and realized what he loved so much about it. Constant mental challenge, constant um, being impressed by the people around you and what they have accomplished. It's just a very invigorating, uh, no-holds-barred um, environment. So 
once I came to it, I never turned back. Hence, I started another small company a few years ago. So I think I'm stuck forever now. That's good. And uh, Sally Wright came to your house for a barbecue one time, I understand. That is correct. So Sally Wright, she was the first female um, American female astronaut. And she operated the big arm that Canada gave us. And uh, the first thing she was supposed to pick up was something that my dad had developed for his master's thesis. So they worked very closely together on that mission. And uh, my father was working for the University of Iowa at that time. They all came to Iowa for some integration testing. And he said, well, why don't you come over for a barbecue and some Pabst Blue Ribbons? And they did. How exciting. Of course, I didn't realize at the time how revolutionary that was. She was just a really interesting and nice lady. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, good memories, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. So um, we've seen it especially uh, in the last year, but the space program is evolving. What challenges and opportunities do you see in today's global space market? That's a huge question. Challenges and opportunities. Well, um, some of the same challenges that have always existed, which is oftentimes technology gets out in front of us before ethics and policy have gotten in place. Um, the, uh, the CEO of OneWeb brought it up one time and he said, remember when we used to think that the ocean was so huge that us measly humans couldn't possibly have an impact on it? Well, that's how we think of space. And it's not true. If you look at the number of things orbiting around the earth right now, 27,000 of them that are tracked, I believe it's getting busy up there and we are starting to have an impact. There's uh, it's getting harder and harder to get radio frequencies so they can um, contact your spacecraft. And people are starting to do unethical things like trying to bypass the FCC by, by um, launching their spacecraft on a foreign rocket. So with any kind of technology, again, the technology and opportunity and ability sort of gets in front of have we really thought about because we can that we should. So I think that challenge will always be there. And of course, like with maritime policies and things like that, who owns space? Who owns space resources? And who's going to go to war? If I put my pole on the moon before anybody else, does that mean I own it? Or does that mean I get to head negotiations for own, who owns it? Similar with asteroids and meteorites that we're going to mine and things like that. So there's a bunch of policy. I know that's not very exciting, but it's important uh, in moving forward and parsing out everyone's responsibility. As far as opportunity, you know, I have friends who talk to me about how after the shuttle program shut down Titusville, Florida, which would otherwise just be a podunk sleepy town, but during the shuttle era was this really happening, jiving place because for every single launch, people showed up and lined the beaches and the cafes in that town to see what was going on. And when the shuttle program was canceled, effectively, most of the United States thought the entire manned space program was canceled and they lost all interest in space whatsoever. So thank God people like Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos with deep pockets and crazy ideas came along because they started getting the general population excited about space again. And I think it also has put NASA in a position of rethinking themselves of, you know, after after the Apollo accident, the Mercury fire, after the um, the Challenger accident and the Columbia accident, uh, NASA just became so risk adverse that it almost became impossible to do anything revolutionary at all. Um, but now if they want to keep up and to keep having the direction or the leading the way of space science research and travel, they're going to have to get a little more flexible. Um, and so I think that's the opportunity that's really here. Engaging the layperson um, and getting our our old blue-haired <laughs> or blue uh, white-beard 
guys out there thinking new, adventure, avant-garde, cutting edge again, I think is where the opportunity is. Yes, gray beard, I think is the uh, gray beard. Thank you. I knew there was a thing that you were looking for. Blue hair, white beard. <laughs> okay, so when you get really old, you get blue hair if you're yeah. a woman. <laughs> yes. Uh, so next question. Um, looking ahead, what do you think the space program is going to look like in 20 years' time or 50 years' time? Where do you think we're headed? I think we're headed to a really neat place, just to segue off I was saying earlier. I think the aerospace industry ecosystem is becoming more and more diverse. And I don't just mean that demographically, but internationally, smaller companies, smaller countries, small space programs in small third world countries are starting to become real players. Um, and of course, the demographics are changing. Thank goodness. Um I just think we're going to find, and because of that diversity and way of thinking and perspective and attitude and culture and everything, we're really going to be pushing the envelope to the point where we're going to have some really interesting creative solutions that come out of all that. And I hope there's a lot of wonderful synergy and collaboration and not so much of the having to argue over policy and who owns what. Um, so I see it becoming much more diverse, which and then I think just naturally tends towards uh, innovation. Um but I think that it could also be, again, a source of national pride. Um, during the space race, there were a lot of ideas, political ideas, et cetera, that, that um, you know, separated uh, folks. I mean, Vietnam War, um, just so many things that divide us. But the space race really um, gave us something all to jump on the bandwagon and be excited about and feel together. And I wonder if it's another opportunity for, for some patriotism that way, not that we should prevent anybody else from going to space, but you know, when you're on a team and you feel like a part of a team, you work a lot harder than when it's just every man for himself. Very interesting. Um, next question. Something I know is very near and dear to your heart. There is a global perception that science is all about rockets and engineers and like that. Um, but there are now, and I'm discovering this in my uh, travails, is um, there's a lot of interest in space from people, just, just people who are outside of the space interest. There's just a lot of interest and enthusiasm in what's going on in space. I see this especially in Europe and uh, over there. What uh, opportunities do you think there are uh, currently and coming up for people who have backgrounds that aren't from the traditional space business to get into the space business? Right. Well, I'm the perfect person for this question because obviously I already mentioned I'm a marine biologist by education. So, um, and, and what I said earlier about my children telling everybody that I work for NASA, because that's the only paradigm that they can understand. Okay. This is an opportunity for everybody to realize that it isn't just rocket science. And by the way, rocket science itself has not evolved much past since the 30s. It's the same stuff. <laughs> so um, there are so many other pieces to it. And I would liken it to um, when adventurers left from Europe looking for new pathways to, to market. And they discovered the Americas and they you know, went to Antarctica to see what was going on there. They didn't just have explorers on that trip. They had husbands and wives and children and pets and they brought scientists along to catalog all the foliage and uh you know wildlife that they saw and they brought astronomers to help them understand the sky and plot their course and they brought cooks and they brought people who could clean and it's going to be the same way if we think we're going to colonize a camp around the moon or around mars we're going to need exactly all those same things and i will bring to um 
it's becoming more and more important and more recognized how important it is to human psychology and human factors is in space science. We're talking about these really long periods of time together in cramped quarters, suffering or, you know, trying to solve crisis after crisis. Uh, um, it's really, really important um, that those human beings are getting along really well together and they have the opportunity to voice concerns and to vent their concerns and to make choices that can help them all be successful. So I think psychology, um, uh, they talk about human factors in industrial arts, for example, being a part of making sure that your chair, your console is not just, you know, ergonomically comfortable, but that you feel happy sitting in that chair and more, uh, you know, more brainwaves because you feel more comfortable or more inspired because of the artwork that's in there with you. It's not just cold, stark science anymore. It's not the Cold War. This is the next level. This is the like Concord or the jumbo jet opportunity now where we're going from taking Shackleton to Antarctica and everybody freezing to death to putting everybody on the Hindenburg and hopefully we don't blow up. But um, just radical change in, in the paradigm of who's going to be in space and anybody who's interested in it can take anything they do and apply it somehow to the space industry, I think. Well, that's fantastic. And that's a great analogy. And uh, I've not heard that one before. So that's fantastic. Um, I'm at the end of all the questions I was going to ask. Do you have any other thoughts or anything you'd like to say or any parting uh, words for our listeners? That's a tough one. Um... I wrote an article recently, and I think that one of the biggest challenges to folks who don't see themselves in the space industry already is just that. They don't see themselves. And so if there is any hurdle in their way between here and what their goals are, um, that's going to be a problem. And no matter how many times they overcome those hurdles, at some point in time, if they don't see um, if they don't see their work reflected in somebody else who can mentor them and they can look up to, they're probably going to give up. So if you're that person who's on the edge, think about who else's life or who else's dreams you might be sacrificing by not being a role model for them. Take risk. What's the worst that could happen? They don't call you back. Um, you know, start a new career midlife. That's what I did. And it's worked out really well. So, yeah, one foot in front of the other, come up with a dream and go after it. Excellent. All right. Well, we've been talking to Gina Burdett of Blueford Engineering. Gina, thanks so much for spending some time with us. No problem. Thank you.